Okay, my bad. My bad. I, I figured I figured so much of the clusterfuck of the middleweight division because if we're talking about the clusterfuck that is the middleweight division in Bellator and we're talking about the middleweight division in UFC and how Uriah Hall's number 10, he just beat a legend and it's this killer's row of the top 10 and the champion, Izzy, who are you going to fight next? He's going to fight the fucking light heavyweight champion. And so what the fuck did John Jones drop his belt for? And we are back here on the Dope Blog. This is the Dope MMA Pod. It's me, Charles Day, my partner in crime, Tim Owens. And a lot has happened in the world of combat sports since the last episode. First, we have Bellator 250 kicking off, and now we have a undisputed middleweight champion there. Then, in the UFC, we have a legend, the Spider, retiring in a heartbreaking loss in the middleweight division. Then, in a different realm of combat sports, we had title fights and knockouts everywhere in the world of boxing. And, holy shit, another awesome week and plenty to talk about. What up, cuz? What's up, man? What's up, man? Glad to be back. Glad to be here talking fights, man. Hell yeah. And I guess we'll start off with the first event that happened since the last time me and you spoke, which was Bell of Tour 250. And it was Gregor Musasi. The Phenom. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It was Gregor <laughs> Musasi versus the Phenom, Douglas Lima. And that was the headlining match. There was also some undercard prelim stuff that was kind of cool and standout-ish. Jake Hager, the former Jack Swagger in WWE and the current member of the Inner Circle in All Elite Wrestling, got his third heavyweight win in MMA in a, you know, war in the heavyweight division. Then with the middleweight title fight, we spoke on the middleweight division as a whole a couple episodes ago when me and you did the Bellator-Michael Venom Page episode. And it was really on display, the differences in both middleweight divisions in the last couple of days to a week. Holy shit. Musasi dominated Lima in a way that his win was never in question unless Lima got lucky and knocked him out or caught him in a submission. What was your biggest takeaway from the Bellator middleweight title fight? Yeah, I I think with that fight, it really showed that the class that Gegar Musasi's had for, I mean, a long time, former UFC fighter, former almost every promotion you can think of. He's been around for a long time. I think his pro record's 47-7-2. So it really shows the class and the and the how much time he's had in there. And it, it was, it looked like Lima, I don't want to say was too small for that weight class because he does hold the belt in uh, what is lightweight. I believe. No, Lima's the welterweight champ. Welterweight, thank you, not lightweight. Welterweight. So it shows that he's not, I don't know if he was ready. I'm not sure. I don't think he was ready. I just, the amount of power and the amount of time Musasi's had in that ring really showed in that fight. Yeah, and and also it showed that Lima, my friend said this to me during the fight, that Lima might have just got lucky against Michael Venom Page and caught him. Because he kind of looked like he was outclassed as a fighter in the middleweight title fight, which is actually saying something. Because as we know, Bellator isn't as deep as the UFC. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. That it could show a good reason for MVP to go back for that title again. Because realistically, I mean, not to take anything away from Lima, but MVP did get caught. I don't think MVP was ready for him. He, I mean, he, right, he got tripped with a leg kick, right? He gets hit with a leg kick, and on his way up, he just gets smashed with a mean uppercut. I don't think MVP was expecting Lima to throw that. And, I mean, we know keep yourself ready at all times inside the ring. That's one of those things where I think he just, MVP being he, made a lapse in judgment with Lima thinking, oh, he'll let me get up and he'll, he'll stand and bang. And Lima's like, I'm not letting you stand up without a shot. So I think that's what happened. I, c- I can agree with your friend there 100%. And also, yeah. it's, it's interesting because MVP influenced heavily by Spider Silva, got caught like Spider Silva once got caught. His hands were down, he got too cute, and he paid for it. So it wasn't like he got dominated. Lima didn't dominate MVP the way Lima was dominated by Musasi. 
And Musasi did have the record you said before. He's a veteran fighter. No disrespect to him. It's not like with that many fights, seven losses is a big deal. But at the same time, it speaks to the quality of fighter in the middleweight division. I don't want to pick too much on Bellator's middleweight division because we're going to talk about the UFC in a second. And by comparison, it's kind of like night and day. But in within the uh, the middleweight division in uh, Bellator, right now the middleweight rankings, it's Musasi on top. You got Rafael Lovato Jr. at 10-0 at number two. Then you have a legend, but holy shit, it's 2020, guys. Leoto the Dragon Machida is the third-ranked middleweight in Bellator right now. Now, guys, don't get me wrong. Leoto Machida is one of my favorite uh, middleweights, light heavyweights of all time. But it's 2020. We're about to talk about Spider Silva retiring. And here you have his fellow Brazilian, the Dragon, still going strong in Bellator. I don't know if that's an indictment on Bellator because the fourth-ranked middleweight is Alexander Slomenko, and his record, as of this recording, is 60-13. and 13. I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what to make of that. That Like, number one, 60 wins in a combat sport and you don't and you have a better than a 2-to-1 ratio is amazing. Good for you. I'm not talking shit about you, brother. I'm just saying that you don't get another, like, undefeated type of middleweight or, clo- or you know, close to it. You have Fabian the Assassin Edwards at 9-1 and one at number 7. Then you got Austin Vanderford, our boy, at 9-0. and oh. Like, that's the names I kind of recognize in this middleweight division over here. And you got Charlie Ward rounding it at 10 at 9-4. and four. It is such a weird division that you have some of these older heads in there that I don't even know what to make of it. Because me and you have been breaking down what we think the division is going to go. Greg Armasasi should fight whoever. Because hopefully the, the younger guys win. Or maybe Leota Machida gets the belt and it's some pay-per-view buys for Bellator. But it's a clusterfuck in Bellator when it comes to looking at the middleweight division. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, it does, but it, it's weird because, like you said, the one thing I want to point out is that coming in at number two, even though they have him still ranked, we don't know if he's going to be fighting as Rafael Lovato. Remember, he relinquished that belt and he actually beat Gegard Musasi back in... 2019 so it's a weird thing where since he had to relinquish his belt now Gegard gets the belt and everyone else on that ranking other than basically Austin Vanderfort Gegard Musasi has beaten I mean his last fight before Lima is Leota Machida won by split decision before that was Rory McDonald which is fine Javier Cavaro before that Alexander Shomenko before that Right, so he's beaten all the guys in this top ten, except for one person like Austin Barrettefort. And I think, with you know, if you want to, if you want Bellator to benefit in this uh, mix-up of their division, you want a young guy like Austin Barrettefort moving up in the ranks and fighting for the belt. Because other than that, I, I don't like. I understand why they have these big names because, like you said, it gets them some pay-per-view buys, especially if you get, like, a Leota Machida versus Gagar again for the belt. It gets you some big pay-per-view buys. But if you want to advance your your class, basically, you want a young, hungry lion leading the pack. So it's kind of just a clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, it is a clusterfuck. And Leota Machida lost by a split decision to Musasi back in 2019. So, like you said, it doesn't even make sense where to go because it's going to be a rematch of something, no matter what, which usually is a good thing. But it's so weird because of the win-losses within that division. Who knows? But there was a bigger event a couple of days later, and not only in terms of uh, the quality of talent, but also the impact on the sport. You had Uriah Hall versus Anderson the Spider Silva in Silva's last UFC fight. We all know how fighting is, how combat sports is, how MMA is. Everybody retires, and it seems like it's pro wrestling because everybody always comes back. But it really felt like Silva's calling it quits. And it was an emotional night. Was there anything besides the main event on this card that stuck out to you? Besides the main event. Okay. that's that... Yes yes, and no. Um, I mean, we had a very quick prelim card, right? Only one decision. Uh, on that prelim card for for UFC, everything else was either a TKO or KO, basically one submission. Another thing with always, like we say, UFC guys coming up, those prelim cards are just really good to kind of book their resumes up, build their resumes up. What I did notice, and I know this is a guy you don't like, but Greg Hardy, the way he was able to fight in this this past weekend, 
really stood out again for me how much he's willing to fight, how much he's willing to get in there. The problem I have with giving Greg Hardy any hype, and it's fair to say and not fair to say, is how the hell are you not making weight at any rate? I get there's a 265 limit, but what what is happening? What the hell are you doing is right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? And if you're an what's NFL fan, on? you know why I don't like Greg Hardy. And it, I'm not going to disrespect the man playing this sport now. He did good. He had two good rounds. He dominated a fight at the heavyweight division in the UFC, which is no easy feat to say the least. The only guy that came into the sport with little to no training like this was Brock Lesnar. And to find yourself with, with Brock Lesnar in the heavyweight division you, you know, you could take that as a compliment, I guess. He's not getting popped for PEDs like Brock did. At least we don't think he is because he's a naturally big dude. Greg Hardy, like you said, he couldn't make the weight at heavyweight. But that aside, he dominated it, man. He fucking rocked, uh, what's his face? My, my, I'm sorry, Maurice Green. He rocked Maurice Green in the first round and it looked like he dropped him. But Maurice Green, to his credit, stayed alive until the second and then it was just over TKO in the second. That was the third to last fight. And it was pretty good. You know, Greg Hardy is, what, like 2-1 and one right now in the in the UFC. He's something to keep an eye on in the heavyweight division. But I don't think he really has that much of a chance, just a puncher's chance, against the likes of a Stipe and the better people within the heavyweight division. Like, let Francis Ngannou go against this guy. Right, right, exactly. I, I agree with you there 100%. Um, because of what we could consider a lack of discipline almost, right? He's trying to learn his craft. He's trying to hone his craft in that cage. But at the same time, it for me, it is always going to go down to that lack of discipline. You, you got It's not like you got a 15-pound range where you got to stay in, like if you're going, or 25-pound range, like, or 20-pound range, whatever you want to call it, like going from 170 to 185. That's a 15-pound range. It's not like you're doing that. You have from 215 to 265 to make weight and it for me there's no excuse to not make that weight but other than that i do agree with you he's he's been really well in the ufc he's, he's done his thing he has lost to alexander volkov that is his one loss uh by decision other than that he has looked really good yeah now that being said who knows where he goes with some of the actual hard-time heavyweight UFC fighters, like you said. Throw him against, not, let's not say Steve A, but like you said, throw him against anyone in the top 10, and I don't think he can do what he does. Because he was winded. He was at the end of two. He put it all out there to put, put Green away, but he left so much out there that he could barely talk at the end. He was breathing heavy. You saw him in the post-fight interview. Like, he barely made it out of that. So you can tell his conditioning's not there. You can tell... Five rounds ain't in, in his in his wheelhouse right now. Five rounds ain't happening. So, I mean, overall good for the way he started. I don't want to take anything away from him, but definitely has a lot to develop in his game. And he could be good. He could be really good. All the other stuff aside, especially like you said, if you're an NFL fan, you know the, the other side of Greg Hardy. You can take all that away. He has room to develop, but we got to figure out what's going on with what I think is a discipline problem. But we'll see. It's funny you said discipline problem because the allusions to his domestic violence in the NFL can also be called a discipline problem, if not just a human problem. But we'll keep it within the octagon, within the cage right now. And his problem is conditioning. He he sucks at it. He was winded like my fat 280-pound ass would be winded right now if I had to fight. And that's unacceptable. He couldn't make weight. If me and you had six weeks at the 285 fat that I am right now, I could, I could get down to 265. Pay me. I'll get down to 265 and I'll compete at heavyweight. Like, yep. I'm looking yeah. at the rankings right now in the heavyweight division. Obviously, the champ is Stipe Miocic. You got Francis Ngannou at one, Curtis Blades at two, and just those three, no fucking chance. Yeah. Like, yeah, no yeah, chance. Yeah, come on, man. So, come on. so at number four, <laughs> we, got our, we got fan favorite Derek Lewis, which would be the name if they were trying to CM Punk, Brock Lesnar, Greg Hardy, which they are not. Let's just be clear. UFC knows what Greg Hardy is, and they're not trying to glorify this dude in any way more than they already have. Derek Lewis would probably knock him out because Derek Lewis has better conditioning than he has. You got Alistair Overeem. You got Alexander Volkov. You got Junior Dos Santos. I'm not out of the top 10. So I'll go out of the top 10, and none of these dudes, like none of these guys 
are, are worried about a Greg Hardy. But it, but in the context of the event, you have to give this guy credit because he's doing what he has to do. And he's competed in all of his fights, which is a good thing. I'll give him that. He hasn't looked like a CM Punk where he doesn't look like he belongs in the UFC. So I think he's going to probably get another contract if he keeps winning. But if they, it depends on who they feed him. Right. I, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where he's looking good. He's been on some big cards now. And I don't know if you could, with the way he fights, I don't know if you can feed him one of those top guys. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just right along there with you. we got to see. He's in a weird, weird position. Maybe you give him a top 15 and, and test the waters. Like I said, when they did give him a top top contender, that was against Alexander Volkov, and he lost. So, yeah, you know, where do we go? But um, to also talk about that card, uh, go backwards real quick because I, I forgot to mention he was the third to last fight. The fourth, the so the second fight to open the card up. There was five total. Was that Kevin Hall, uh, Kevin Holland, uh, Charlie Ontiveros fight? That was insane. If you don't remember, that was when Kevin Holland had Ontiveros kind of wrapped up, and he just slams him in like in this kind of a head and arm. He has him locked in a head and arm uh, as he's slamming him, and then the next thing you know. Ref's calling it off, and everyone's like, did he choke? Did he tap? What happened? And it was actually a verbal submission, apparently, which was insane. And, you know, hope to him, hope for his recovery for Ontiveros, but he ended up having to get carted off, and he did have feeling in his hands and legs uh, as he was at the hospital, stuff like that. So they're hoping it's nothing paralyzing, because I haven't checked what's going on with him now since the fight, where where day removed were on that Monday uh, after the weekend. Yeah, last I heard, it was a neck injury, and that's what made him verbally submit. But he's, uh, from what I heard, he's going to be okay. I could be wrong, but I'm going to stay positive and just assume the initial reports of him being okay were right because I feel like if they were more negative than that, it would have been bigger news in the world of MMA. I agree, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going I'm to assume that he's doing okay. Yeah, assume that he's doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, too. I'm assuming he's doing okay because you're right. If it was worse, we would have. I feel like we would have heard more about it. And, um, and not for nothing, I'm glad you touched on that because that was a weird ending. But the co-main, the featherweight, Bryce Mitchell defeats Andre Philly. Andre touchy-feely. What a weird nickname in this sport, but I, I'm all for yeah. it. Good for you, man. That's original. I, you get points for originality. But Bryce Mitchell, thank God this dude won with these stupid camo shorts. Because like the story you told us last week, I'm here for, man. I like the sideshow of it. I'm a pro wrestling fan. But I'm also, you, as you know, you better fucking win if you're making a sideshow of anything. You better come with it right. That's why I'm a Conor fan. He won. He talked all that shit and won. With this dude, I'm glad he got the win. And featherweight is no easy division, especially in the UFC. So I'm happy this dude's gonna, you know, is making a name for himself. But at the same time, keep going, keep winning in these camo shorts. Challenge for the title. Just keep going if you're gonna keep making noise for stuff that isn't between the bell. Yep. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm with you there. That is um, with the whole story and everything. I was a little afraid going into round three. I had it. Uh, we were texting live time. Um, I had it one one uh, right before they went into round three so i was a little worried for bryce mitchell honestly especially andre philly not being a ranked opponent uh bryce mitchell topping out at 115 uh 115 topping out at rank number 15 i was a little worried for him going into that third but he was able to pull it out i could see where some of the judges said he won all three rounds i could get it that second round wasn't as decisive it depends on what you're looking at and I I gave more to Andre Philly with some of those harder shots that he gave Bryce Mitchell where you could see he staggered him back a little bit. That's why I was giving that second round to uh, Philly. But, yeah, overall, great fight, great great bout. They went toe-to-toe the whole time. I wanted to give Fight of the Night bonus to them, but no Fight of the Night was awarded. They just gave out Performance of the Night's. Which is a little bullshit. I just want to say, that's that seems a little disrespectful to Bryce Mitchell and Andre Feely. I watched that fight twice, and both times I watched it. It wasn't like I was bored, so I feel like they just got cheated out of 50K, both of them. Um, yeah. But, yeah, whatever, man. Uh, Dana's going to yeah, Dana. Dana doing Dana, right? Dana yeah. doing Dana shit, you know what I mean? So we get to the main event, a middleweight bout between ranked Uriah Hall and the legend that is Anderson Silva. I'm going to editorialize here, and I got to keep it real. The prime Spider Silva would eat the best version of Uriah Hall 
for dinner. The fact that Uriah Hall beat him and was so emotional after the fact, I like that. But going into the fight, you have Uriah Hall talking shit about the champ, Israel Adesanya, saying he's had easy fights when Uriah Hall has lost to the, those easy fights when he fought those easy fights. So as a fan, I'm going into this fight really wanting to see Spider win. As a Spider fan, I'm going into this fight wanting to see this guy go out on top. And he gets uh, TKO'd in the fourth round. All credit to Uriah Hall, who's moving up in the middleweight division in the UFC. But the story really is Spider retiring. And it's about time. Because Anderson Silva in his prime would never lose to this dude. There's people that don't believe that Anderson Silva in his prime would lose to this current version of Izzy. Let alone a Uriah Hall. No disrespect again to Uriah Hall. But it is what it is. Anderson Silva's, you know, resume at this point includes losses to Jared Cannonier, uh, Michael Bisbing. Prime Spider is just different. And if he's going to keep losing, like his last three fights are all L's, it's time to call it. I don't want to see him in Bellator. I don't want to see him competing anywhere else. Just stay retired, please. What's your feeling this, you know, so shortly removed from that emotional moment of him retiring? Um, yeah, kind of everything you said, it's... It was sad to see. I've been getting really upset with Spider Silva's last bouts. And it's not like we're talking about a guy that's not, you know, fighting tough competition. I mean, everyone Silva, and and, and I was kind of listening. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. I was kind of listening to Ariel and DC where they were talking about this exact thing in, in the fact that you have Spider Silva where when you're considered the GOAT already and you're still fighting, you're never going to get it easy shot so all the guys he's lost to were straight up killers i mean uriah hall as we know that's what we're discussing jerry cannonier israel adesanya daniel cormier michael bisping chris weidman twice that was his losing streak to get to where we're at kind of now right he had one win in Derek brunson in between that so initial feelings on that night i was upset to see i think he was doing well at first and he just the steam just caught up to him he wasn't he wasn't he didn't really get anything off he just kind of looked like he was sitting in there playing looking like he was picking shots but he was just too slow and yes i agree with you spider of old did ain't no shot your eye halls being spider of old i don't give a damn what anyone thinks there's no way there's no way i i do respect Uriah Hall's show of emotion at the end. Yeah, and me too. Of, me too. I, I respect it, but I also want to point out, for anyone that thinks that was a passing of the torch, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The passing of the torch happened two fights ago with Izzy, because that exact same moment that Uriah Hall had, that's what Izzy and Anderson Silva had in that cage together. Same exact moment. Not as much emotion, but the same moment, the feeling of a passing of the torch, that's when that happened. No disrespect to your eye hall, but you're not getting past Izzy. You did put Spider Silva away. I get it. You put him away. Izzy did not do that. But I also think there was way more respect in Izzy's fight with Silva than there was with your eye hall. That's why, in my analysis of it, that's why you got so much more emotion from your eye hall versus Silva, I mean, versus Izzy, because your eye hall knocked his idol out is he didn't knock his idol out idol out you, you get what i'm saying yeah it was kind of that would be more emotional having to do what you did to your idol like that versus be so good that you could just go to war with your idol for however many rounds what was it, a five rounder or a three rounder i don't remember had to be a five but I, um, I don't i don't think it was five i think it was three it was three okay the reason i bring that up one of my buddies again my one friend, he doesn't watch many UFCs, get more into it, because I, I kind of force him. I'm like, hey, man, if we're chilling on Saturday, you know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, and he was like, yeah, that's fine. And he kind of said, oh, is this a passing of the torch thing? And I went, no, 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 no. I'll show you the fight that was the passing of the torch. So, yeah, that's kind of all my initial reactions. Now, with Spider retiring, he has said he doesn't want to retire. Even in a post after the fight, he said he's not retiring, but it is his last fight in the UFC. I am with you on, I think, even though he might have some fight left in him, I don't want to see more damage come to him that does not need to be done. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. And it's ironic because we're talk- we just we opened this pod up with the Bellator middleweight division. And if he announced that Spider's going to Bellator, he's going to fight Greg Armusasi. I'm just going to say this now. I got Spider by decision in three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. If he goes to Bellator, 
and it's not like I said, Austin Vanderford, the young lion, and it's one of those older guys. <laughs> I'm yeah, um, Anderson Silva all day. Oh okay. yeah, well, let's keep it a hundred. We're, we're big Austin Vanderford fans because we're big fans of his wife, both in the Octagon and on Instagram, and we're both men of respect. So we became Austin Vanderford fans because shout out to Paige Van Zant. Yeah, listen, Mister Van Zant. I love him best. <laughs> dude, all respect to the guy. If Austin Vanderford ever listens to us, when we say Mr. Van Zant, we are the dudes that are brushing off your shoulder and saying props because they are stunting like a real happy couple, unlike an Instagram happy couple, but they actually look like they love each other and they're a great follow. So if you're an MMA fan, if you're a guy, Paige Van Zant is a great follow just to follow. And Austin Vanderford's a great follow as an MMA fan because he's up and coming and I think the dude has a lot of potential. But like we said, middleweight division is a clusterfuck. And if Spider Silva goes to Bellator, all right, I guess we don't have to do a whole recap of his career right now because it might not be ending. If he's clarified, it's just his last UFC fight. That means he's going to go get some more money somewhere else and probably a six-figure payday to go fight a bum or another dude that's past his prime, another legend. He might fight Bisbing again for all we know because Bisbing is one of those dudes that can just fight whenever he wants. Same with Chael Sonnen. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, Bisbing's crazy, just like Chael, yeah. <laughs> They're crazy. They, they say they won't do it, but you know, so one day they'll be like, hey, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll go kind of Mike Tyson. I'll exhibition match it. Yeah, sure, it's an exhibition. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, before, and before we even talk about Tyson... Jones boxing and all and and any you know UFC news that I actually want to touch on real quick. What is one of your favorite Anderson Silva moments in the UFC? Oh, in the UFC, my favorite Anderson Silva moment. Like the first one that comes into your head. Oh, I have it. I have it right here. It is the most disrespect I've ever seen <laughs> because my favorite fighter got kicked in the goddamn face. Vitor Belfort. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyone that knows me, my favorite fighter of all time is Vitor Belfort, PEDs and all. I'm talking a whole juiced up Vitor Belfort where he's jacked as hell. That's my favorite Vitor. And him getting kicked in the face and put away like that made me a huge Spider Silver fan. That's what made me the fan that I am today. It wasn't everything previous. And, and you know, a lot of hardcores, even yourself, you were like, really? That's what made you the Spider Silver fan? Yes, that moment right there, because I go, uh, the whole time leading up to that fight, I'm talking, yeah, let's go, Vitor's going to run through this guy, I know he's good at striking, but Vitor's just going to come forward and barrel through him, now he's going to get front kick to the face and get knocked out instantly, his first knockout, I think, the first time Vitor was ever knocked out, so it was, oh man, that's my moment, what about you, what do you think when you hear Spider Silva? That's one of my favorite moments that that kick because it's just a kick that's straight up into the person's face it's not like a side kick it's literally you got kicked straight on dead on into the face so that's actually like one of mine and he has one of these careers where if you watch his highlights and and mind you he always came out to uh, dmx ain't no sunshine so if you type in that song with anderson silva there's a bunch of cool ass fan-made uh highlight videos on youtube to that song which is his walkout music so everybody that gets bored at work, you're welcome on that. But I don't have this particular moment. Like the Vitor Belfort one is up there because it's the most jarring. Like that was the one that made me go, holy shit, in real time because I didn't see it coming. If there's a moment, like a fight that I, I was like, hell yeah, it was uh, UFC 82 against Dan Henderson because that was the yep. unification for Pride and UFC middleweight titles. That's probably my favorite individual moment because I didn't think Dan Henderson actually had a chance. I know a couple of Pride fans were talking a lot of shit, but I didn't yeah. really think that was a real thing. When uh, did he move up to light heavyweight? Because he went from middleweight to light heavyweight, and it seems it's like seamless in my memory. But like he was a light heavyweight champion, was he not? Am I just bugging, or is that I always mix that up with the middleweight? Um, he didn't. I don't think he got the light heavyweight championship, but his light heavyweight fight was against Forrest Griffin. Yeah, and, and he beat Forrest Griffin. That was one of those knockouts where he like caught him with the knee. See, this is how many this is how many highlights Anderson Silva has. You look back on his like run, this ridiculous run between like two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five to about twenty twelve. It is amazing. Any fight he had during this era, he's on a different level, which is why, kind of why me and you had this disrespect for Uriah Hall on this recording. It's not because we actually disrespect Uriah Hall. Dude's a fighter. Dude's a warrior. 
But Spider in his prime was just a different beast. I put we put him up against John Jones in his prime. We put him up against GSP in his prime. He's my goat. So I hope he stays retired. He's probably not. We'll see. Apparently, we're going to be doing a couple middleweight clusterfuck pods in the future before <laughs> before it's all said and yeah, done. Yeah, the, the way it looks, the way it looks, that's that's what we're we're headed towards. Hopefully not. Like I said, I'm with you in the. I, I'd rather have him just retiring the UFC. I get it. You didn't go out the way you wanted to go out. But, dude, your goddamn record is impeccable as a fighter. So just, just take, stop. if you got one more in you, take a check and run. But just just call quits and, and do your thing. And, and I get it. Sometimes, you know, it's just part of that mentality. You know, you were this former great person. The modern era of UFC would not be where it's at without Anderson Silva, right? The modern era of MMA would not be where it's at without Anderson Silva. He's the first guy that did what he did in that ring. The reason we have Izzy and and the reason we have these young, unstoppable strikers is because of Anderson Silva. So, but I don't want to keep going down and talking about, well, he lost again, or, you know, this was a close one and went to decision, or, you know... Yeah, it's, it, it ruins people's legacies. So it's just annoying when you're a fan and you're just like, yo, you're already great. Just leave, leave it be. But we're beating a dead horse because we're probably going to talk about him again after you specified <laughs> his wording of his last fight and not retirement. But did you see the news about Israel Adesanya's next fight? Uh, yeah, uh... I'm a little upset. I, I'll let you. I'll let you talk about this one, so I can gather myself because I didn't think we were going to talk about it. Okay, my bad. My bad. I, I figured. I figured so much of the clusterfuck of the middleweight division because if we're talking about the clusterfuck that is the middleweight division in Bellator, and we're talking about the middleweight division in UFC, and how Uriah Hall's number ten, he just beat a legend, and it's this killer's row of the top ten, and the champion Izzy. Who are you going to fight next? He's going to fight the fucking light heavyweight champion. <laughs> And so what the fuck did John Jones drop his belt for? Right. What what happened? What what happened? What happened? What happened in the UFC? Why is Dana entertaining this? What are we what are we doing? No, I, I'm I'm here for it. Fight him. Fight the light heavyweight champion, right? Do it. Make it a title for title for all I give a shit. But I'm saying if we're teasing this fucking super fight between John Jones and Israel Adesanya, why did John Jones pretend he was gonna be a heavyweight? Yeah. Oh. I think, all right, all right, taking my emotions out of it here. To answer your question, I'll do a little devil's advocate. Not a devil's advocate, just kind of answer your question here. I think John Jones did not see Izzy moving up. Because what I think everyone was betting on was Jared Cannonier running through Robert Whitaker. I really do think Dana was betting on it. I think... John Jones basically was betting on, okay, well, Izzy's going to sit and do his thing, so let me finally make my decision to move up to heavyweight because I'm not going to be a little bitch. And the fact that DC's out of there. I'm not saying, don't take this wrong, anyone that's listening. I'm not saying John Jones is afraid of Daniel Cormier. Not saying that. I am saying he did not want to fight him at heavyweight. I am saying that. Not that he's afraid of him. He just... Didn't want to deal with that at heavyweight. It's John Jones is not afraid of Daniel Cormier or anybody. But Correct. he is afraid of fighting at heavyweight. I'll say that. That dude is avoiding yes. the heavyweight division like the fucking plague, which is apropos for 2020. <laughs> right, exactly. So, what, I think everyone was hedging their bets on the fact that Izzy's going to be cleaning out the, this, this division. But then when we have Robert Whitaker win in the fashion that he won against Jared Cannonier, we all go, well, what the fuck are we going to do with Izzy? Because he beat Robert Whitaker, he beat Paul Acosta, he's going to beat Jared Cannonier, he beat Yoel Romero, he's going to beat Darren Till, Darren Till's not even in the question. Who's in the, He already beat Kelvin Gasson. What Uriah Hall? Okay, let's do Uriah Hall. I'm 90% sure Israel's going to beat Uriah Hall. He's ranked all the way down at number 10 right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, where do, who do we throw at him now? We, we I think the lower guys. What I think happened was something along the lines of what you said, but it's much more simple. They, they're holding out for gates. With the, Bones, uh, with the Bones-Jones fight, they're holding out for that gate. They've admitted it as much. 
with a Robert Whitaker rematch. They want that gate in Australia. They want that that giant gate that they had last time. Yeah, they, largest, largest, not not largest price, but amount of fans. Right? Yeah, something yeah. like that is like one of the largest gates. I think it might be the largest gate for the not in North America for the UFC. For I don't remember, but it broke some records, right? So it, broke, whole, yeah, it broke the in-person attendance record, but not the price per ticket record because the price per ticket record isn't as insane as if you know a Madison Square Garden fight. Yeah, um, because those tickets are obviously insane. So, so in the middleweight yeah. division right now, as we record the first week of November, twenty twenty. Izzy's the champ in the middleweight. We're looking at a rematch with Robert Whitaker, no matter what, because he's the number one contender now. You're, you're looking. I think you should do the Uriah Hall fight just to give Uriah Hall that props. And I do think that's two wins for Israel Adesanya. Now, they're obviously waiting for Gates, so we're, we're pushing back the Robert Whitaker rematch, which he has rightfully earned, which we talked about last episode. Now, against Jan Blachowicz, if he, I think what UFC wants is Israel to win. If I don't know if this is going to be for the, the strap. I, I doubt it, seriously. But if they do make it for the light heavyweight strap and Israel becomes a champ champ, it's better for the UFC because kind of like what we said before with John Jones moving up, what the hell happens at light heavyweight? Well, if, if you got the other biggest name in these divisions as a double champ, that's double the box office for the UFC for as long as possible. Yeah, I'm with. I, I, I definitely agree with that from a, a money aspect. Money aspect of the UFC, I just definitely understand that. My problem is, why are we going to do Jan like that? Jan has only one one fight at light heavyweight as a champion, and it was for the belt. He wasn't even a champion at that time. You still have so much you can do with Jan before you send Izzy up to fight him. So I hope it's not for a belt, but realistically, this is the UFC we're talking about. If we're going to take their second biggest star of all time behind Connor right now, he might be bigger than Connor when he's done. If you're going to take that guy, you're, you clearly want him as a champ champ. That's that's all your biggest guys. That's your DC. That's your Connor. That's your Henry Cejudo. You need to have that champ champ for for the visual aspect. I get more upset. Not Izzy moving up. I get more upset with this whole situation. And the reason I said let me collect my thoughts is because it's not on the Izzy side. It's on the Yan side is where I get upset with that. He has so much work to do that he can do at that division. And I mean, the last when he won the belt, we did our podcast. We were discussing. Is this going to be a turnover belt? Is this going to be changing hands? That's what we were talking about. Now we're not going to have that conversation if Izzy goes up to fight Jan. Because even though Jan hits the way he hits and the power Jan has, I think Izzy will be quick enough and the most effective of a striker that you have ever seen other than John Jones at light heavyweight that it won't, it won't matter. So that's what makes me more upset is that we're kind of just forsaking John's career, John, Jan's career and saying, hey, well, we got this middleweight guy. He's our superstar. He's going to come up and fight you. Like That's that's what makes me more upset. No, I'm with you, man. It's a weird situation, but we'll say it again. Dana White's going to Dana White. <laughs> Always. <laughs> but that's not even the end of the fights that happened this weekend or the news that happened this weekend. Boxing really was on point this past Saturday. There was title fight after title fight. I know me or you, me and you don't have Showtime pay-per-view. For everyone out there listening, out of all the shit me and you pay for, Showtime is the one that got left off of both of our radars for no other reason than ESPN Plus. And I know I got Hulu. I'm looking into the zone. I know you got multiple MMA streaming services. So, sorry guys. We don't make any money from this. So, we don't have infinite money to watch every single pay-per-view. <laughs> But yeah, just, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say dead out of that. Let you go. <laughs> yeah, man, because it's it's crazy. Like, let's just be real. With all the pay per views happening, there's plenty of free fights on this weekend. I watched the free fights, so I'll start with the fight I didn't see. I just saw the highlights of, but I wanted to touch on this boxer because one of my friends, Sam, shout out Sam, big boxing head, liked us talk, talking boxing a couple episodes ago. Wanted us to talk more boxing, and Gervonta Tank Davis defended and retained his. WBA lightweight title and won the WBA super featherweight title from Leo Santa Cruz this weekend, improving to 24 and 0. He's 24 and 0 with 23 knockouts. That's insane. Dude looks like a beast. I don't know how much I'm going to say about him because the dude is like a mini Tyson. I enjoy watching him, and the knockout that he had on Santa Cruz was an uppercut that just leveled him. Did you have a chance to see any of these highlights? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> if uh, I mean honestly, if you didn't see that highlight, I don't know. You might not have social media or anything. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you didn't see Tank Davis knock the shit out of Santa Cruz, I mean it was bad. It was bad. How Halloween nice. knockout in the sixth <laughs> round, and it was one of these knockouts where right when he was. You know the, the highlight. You anywhere you find it, you'll find it within the you know the thirty seconds. It's going to happen. And the commentators were giving Santa Cruz credit for taking so many of Tank's punches. And it's and that's that commentator curse, man. That jinx that they have. The second they were they were complimenting this dude on being able to withstand this barrage of Tank. Bang! Uppercut out. Night night. Like yeah. It, 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 was... it seems like a meme. It seems like it was made to be a meme. It seems like somebody added the audio after the fact. But at this moment. Tank is in the super featherweight division and the lightweight division. The Southpaw out of Baltimore got a bright future because dude was born in 1994. He's just, I feel old. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, two. He's two years younger than me, man. <laughs> and you know, you, he could survive for for so long at this at these divisions as long as he just keeps his conditioning right. The strength that he has doesn't seem to go away as fighters like him get older. They keep the strength, they lose the speed. Him being like this Floyd Mayweather money team protege, he really has a chance to dominate these weight classes in ways that we haven't really seen in recent years. Now, you know, we're, we'll talk about it in a second. There's too many damn belts in the sport. But I want to see a tank at lightweight or featherweight kind of fight a Shakur Stevenson, one of my favorites from Jersey right now. Yeah. I don't know who I who, who's next on, on, on his radar, but, like, there's a lot of talent at these weight classes, these lighter weight classes in boxing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent, and um, especially with Tank Davis, one of my favorite, you know, Outside of the ring, you can say whatever you want. He has a little, a couple impulse control issues, but we're talking about fighters. When are they not going to have some impulse control issues? Uh, but you know, he actually went technically he went down by five pounds to 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 win this super featherweight title, right? Or did they do it at thirty five? I can't re- I can't recall. I'm but pretty sure he had to go down because it, it goes featherweight, lightweight. Right. So he was super featherweight, which is one thirty, and then lightweight is one thirty five. So. Yeah, so he had to go down a little bit. In a division, he's already kind of big in at lightweight, in my opinion. He looks big at lightweight, so he could even go up to that 140, 140 range at super lightweight and, and make some noise there as well. Um, I think, like you said, we just have a... With boxing right now, We some of these young names, like we just had Teofimo Lopez just happen. We had, we had Javante Tank Davis. You have Shakur, like you said. You know, we got some young, hungry lines that could make a revitalization in boxing, apart from what we will discuss, the belts. That's a whole... Oh, yeah. yeah. And Shakur Stevenson's like a featherweight bantamweight, for those who don't know. And he's only 14-0 and at at the time of this recording. So I think right now it would be feeding Shakur to Tank, because Tank is the more seasoned champion of the two, just for clarity. But there was another fight that Top Rank put on, it was uh, Naoya Inoue versus Jason Maloney for the uh, WBA and IBF bantamweight titles. And yes. Inoue knocked out Maloney in the seventh round it, like with this straight right, right, bang, boom, Maloney collapsed. Yeah, and this is coming off a win against Nonito Donaire. Yeah, Donaire is past his prime, comparatively speaking, to the other names in the division right now. But that's probably uh, Inoue's biggest win to date was against Donito Donaire. He has been a guy that's been putting up some big numbers. I mean, just reading off 20 fights, no losses, 17 by knockout. That's not nothing to, you know, shudder about. That's nothing that has nothing. So it's a pretty good record coming out. And you said it was IBF, right? Yeah, it was for the WBA Super and IBF Bantamweight titles. Okay. Yeah, so, again, young guys coming up right now. He's 93, another one, 93, only 27 years old. This dude, yeah. But this dude, in a way, has been making a lot of noise. I think it's kind of funny that in a year that we saw one of the best heavyweight title rematches of our lives, that 
these light dudes up to up to about middleweight, I would say, have been dominating the sport as far as what boxing fans want. It, it's kind of funny the uh, mirror comparisons between boxing and MMA right now is because yeah, heavyweight got some names in it, but if you're a nerd, if you really crave the, this sport, you know lightweight, welterweight, middleweight is where it's at. Yep, always. I mean, it, it goes back to one of the first things we said when we when we started this podcast. Those weight classes are the perfect mixture of the of a technician and a person that has power. Because when you get too light, it's all it's all technical work. It's speed and technique. When you get too heavy, you get a lot of just power. And just that's what you're looking at. You got a lot of technique. Don't don't take anything away from the big guys. They definitely have technique as well. And same with the little guys. They got power at their weight. But the perfect blend is those middle middle of the road weight classes where they're not too big, not too small. They got the perfect amount of technique with power because that's what you saw with Gervonta this weekend. That that uppercut was perfect because you know there was what was it two th- straights were thrown at at Gervonta and he's you know dipping him. He got hit by both of them pretty much, and he said, "All right, you know what? Fuck it," and just came right in. He saw his opening as that third straight was about to come or it was coming back, and he just whoop, put the uppercut right in there. Quickest thing you've ever seen. That's that perfect balance of that like i said speed and technique and power in a way is a unified technically a unified bantam world champion having the wba super bantamweight title the ibf title and the ring title yeah ring magazine this is what we mean guys too many goddamn belts for the sports good because depending on who how you were raised who you were raised with and all these factors of just how you love the sport how you came to grow into the sport i remember growing up it seemed like it was a WBC, IBF, and WBA that made you the undisputed heavyweight or whatever champion. The WBO, too, was added to that a little bit later, or it was the IBF. It depends on who, who you were, you know, who you grew up around. And now there's these super belts, which are bullshit. And, and I don't know one fan that buys into them. And it doesn't mean anything. It's like having two of the same belt in the same weight class. There's just too many damn belts. If we could even break it down to four, which you're never really going to do because of these fucking corrupt promoters. But it's hurting the sport in such a way that people don't even know what belts to follow. Yeah, historically speaking, the WBC green belt holds a lot of nostalgia for a fight fan. But as far as a real sports fan go, it feels like the IBF is the real one because the IBF makes you fucking fight the next guy up. Yep. So me and you have complained about this literally our whole lives. Like... Damn near three decades of saying the same thing. It doesn't seem like it's going away. But I'll read off some of the men's top 10 pound for pound as of right now. And we can look through and see if there's any type of correlation between the belts. Before I even, you know, say anybody, who would you say right now is your pound for pound best boxer on the planet? Who? Pound for pound best boxer on the planet? Yeah. Oh, that's a hard one, actually. Um, I would, my personal one is Canelo Alvarez. Like, I don't think it's even close. The dude is champion in, what, like four weight classes right now. He's gone up to yeah. heavyweight and still knocking motherfuckers out. What's really good, Kovalev? Like, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, okay, like. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I would, if we're going to do a pound for pound, um, it, it, it's, it's, Probably Canelo, right? Um, most people would current. say, most people would right now, at least most people I know out of the boxing fans, so this is more anecdotal than any type of research. This is people I talk to. Canelo Alvarez or Bud Crawford would be the, Terrence Bud Crawford would be the two that I hear the most come out of people's mouths. Like, I think a casual boxing fan, somebody might say a Tyson Fury, which I don't think would be a terrible pick. You had Lomachenko and Triple G getting talked about a lot as the pound-for-pound best before the L's they've taken recently. Triple G to Canelo. And yes, I do believe Canelo won that fight. And now you got Teofimo Lopez, who just you know made history a couple weeks back. All these are names that are that are being circulated. Like in like we just say Naoya Inoue, the, this young Japanese monster. He, and right. by the way, his music is the Godzilla music. That's fucking awesome. I love I know, shit yeah. like that. I, <laughs> Like, that is some nerd shit, and that like that makes me a fan of you when you have a nickname like The Monster, and you use the Godzilla theme, and you're Japanese. Hell yeah, you get it. You get the sport. But anyway, he's number two 
pound for pound for ring, which, why would they be biased? Oh, yeah, he has one of their fucking belts. But <laughs> uh, the Ring Magazine got Canelo at the top, and they, they pretty much have, like, Canelo, Inouye, Crawford, Al- Alexander Usyk, I, I can't say, the, the heavyweight, the 17-0 Ukrainian heavyweight, Errol Spence right. Jr., Teofimo Lopez, Vasily Lomachenko, Gennady Golovkin, Juan Francisco Estrada, and Artur Beater beat. I, I can't say that name. I don't know. I haven't seen, watched that dude. He's a Russian dude, light heavyweight. Right. Like this, right. Is, this is what I mean. And he's the WBC and IBF light heavyweight champion. Haven't watched one of his fights. That that's the point that we're trying to make here is that we can go through the pound for pound list. And these are champions that we barely have heard. Now a little bit more credible in my eyes is uh, the Boxing Writers Association because that's kind yeah, of. More... I was gonna say that that not to cut you off. That was that would be more. I guess understood because well, like you said with ring the problem with ring is they have a belt yep and when you have a belt you're gonna be biased and even though i get the ring belt is a part of it right tiofimo lopez got that ring belt that's how he has five now or whatever four one of them yeah yeah whatever whatever the hell it is i hate that damn ring belt just so all the listeners know you know anyone that's tuning in I hate that goddamn ring belt. So, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll say the boxing writers, then I'll say ESPN, and then we can finish okay. off our rants on there's too many damn belts. <laughs> the, Rox, the Boxing Writers Association of America got it. Canelo, Lomachenko, Bud Crawford, Inouye, Errol Spence, Usyk, Triple G, Tyson Fury at eight, Pac-Man, Manny Pacquiao at nine, and then Juan Francisco Estrada rounding it out at ten. And ESPN has a similar list, a couple of switches, with Terrence Bud Crawford being the ESPN number one uh, pound-for-pound boxer. And if we're going to call out biases, ESPN has top rank. Bud Crawford is top rank. And and he's the WBL welterweight champion. No disrespect, because if he is your pound-for-pound best, A, I understand it. But if you held a uh, Floyd Mayweather to such a high standard that he, air quotes, never fought anybody... We're going to have to start looking at Crawford's resume at 36-0 and 0 with 27 knockouts and saying the same damn Amen. thing. Amen. Amen. Just saying. Amen. And that's a fan. That's coming from a fan. People dissect Mayweather's wins like there's no tomorrow, and Mayweather's beaten legends. Terrence Crawford, and that's mostly because of Bob Arum and other uh, promoters that aren't allowing the, you know, the sport to thrive and having these welterweights really get at each other. Because you got Errol Spence at the ESPN pound for pound at number four with the WBC and IBF welterweight title. So when that when's that fight happening? But anyway, that's the fight. That's the fight. ESPN is Bud Crawford, Canelo Alvarez, Inouye at three. So there's a consensus that Inouye is, is a pound for pound guy. But there's also you got to remember he's top rank and he's a ring champ. So that's why he's so high on these pound for pounds. Then you got Errol Spence Jr. Then you got Teofimo Lopez, who I think should be higher than Inouye, but hey, whatever. You still got Lomachenko on here. Usyk again, heavyweight, 17-0, 13 knockouts. You know, good props. Tyson Fury at 8, which I think is a little low, considering he's the literal lineal champion at heavyweight with the WBC and ring heavyweight titles. Then you got Juan Francisco at 9. Then you got Triple G rounding it out at 10. Triple G still has the IBO middleweight uh, championship. Right. I don't see another like the only like I don't see another IBO champion uh, unless it's Anthony Joshua who's on the uh, the box rack pound for pound at seven. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I get it, but I'm not giving I'm not giving AJ pound for pound right now. No, definitely like, yeah, not. No, no, yeah. he doesn't deserve it. He, no, no, so, he yeah, doesn't but, deserve it. Yeah, a mix between honestly, a mix between ESPN and the Boxing Writer Association is kind of where you find who really should be the. The, the top top right the names you heard repeat, repeatedly in the top five were Canelo Earl Spence Terrence Crawford right that's that's what we're talking about and and, and to um, his credit in a way and, and to their credit yeah anyway um I don't know if I'm gonna put him at, at a, a pound for pound great right uh pound for pound best fighter right now me personally I gotta do more research for myself because when you're up there with names like I said even though Vasily Lomachenko lost, he still was the pound-for-pound pound best, almost. Number one, other than Canelo, you could have made that argument that Vasily Lomachenko was that almost that number one, right? So, 
Yeah, but in a fighting sport, when when a dude comes in and takes all your cookies, you, you lose that spot. So, oh, 100%. So, yep. so, so 100%. if Loma was number one, no matter what, you got to put Lopez higher now because he outboxed him. He outclassed him in that title fight. Yes, exactly. So, exactly. So that, but Vasily and the Boxers Rider Association still got Loma too. Yeah, that's crazy. That's why I'm like, uh... The only person the boxing writers right now have over Lomachenko is Canelo. So they got Loma over Terrence Crawford and Errol yeah, that's Spence. Crazy. Yeah, like, that's yeah, crazy. I don't I, I don't know that. Like, Triple G is still high up, but these are, you know, legends in their own right. So we're kind of, we're, we're parsing greatness right now. Yeah. And we're going to do a whole pod about, you know, Tyson Fury and Anthony uh, Joshua and Deontay Wilder because that's like, a once-in-a-lifetime triple threat of heavyweights we have this year. I just want to note, Canelo hasn't fought in 2020, and he's still at the top of everyone's pound-for-pound. Pound. Dude is 53-1-2. That one is who? Floyd Money Mayweather. And ever since then, he's been more of a, of a killer. Dude's last fight was in November 2019. A year to the date of this recording, he beat Sergey Kovalev and won the WBO light heavyweight title. Like, the pound-for-pound pound best right now, his, his, his major titles in boxing include the WBC light middleweight title, the WBA unified light middleweight title, the WBC middleweight title, the WBO light middleweight title, the WBA super middleweight title, the IBF middleweight title, the WBA light heavyweight title, oh, I'm sorry, the WBO light heavyweight title. Do you understand why this is fucking annoying when there's a light middleweight, a middleweight, and a super middleweight? Like... The divisions would be deeper if there was just clear-cut middleweight. Correct. And it would well, be better that, for everybody. Everybody. That, that goes into both problems we have with boxing. It goes into the too many belts because you have too many divisions. I get it back in whenever this happened. I can't even remember. But whenever this happened where they started doing the 147s, 145s, 140, 148, whatever the hell it was. Remember, they started breaking up those those closer rounds. And I have them all listed here right now. They're not major differences. You start at... I don't t- I don't take minimum weight as a real thing, so we can get out of there. <laughs> but, <laughs> we, you, know, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be mean, but 105, uh, 108 is good enough. So we start with light flyweight. We have flyweight, super flyweight, bantamweight, super bantamweight, featherweight, super featherweight, lightweight, super lightweight, welterweight, super what and on and on and on and on. That's only up to super welterweight where I stop because I don't want to read all of these. That's only 154 pounds, 70 kilograms. We got much more to get to to get to heavyweight, which is unlimited. So that adds to the fact that there's too many damn belts because you're telling me at every one of these weight classes, which there, I think there's 17 in total or something like that, you have four to five. Some could even say seven belts because you got one of those middle ground ones, the W the the WBU and I, IBO and WBU IBO a little better than WBU but still you have the main four you have the ring championship now and you have IBO WBU so in total we have seven if you want to count all seven of those which not everyone does most people just count IBF WBA WBO and WBC and like you said to mention something earlier. WBC is the one I always go to and say, hey, that's the belt of belts. If it's not IBF, it's WBC. I mean, those those are the main belts. So both the classes and the and the titles is what causes this problem. Of what do we know to watch? What are we watching? What are we watching with Canelo? When he fights? What weight is he fighting at? You know, it it's, gets a little frustrating, especially it can be hard for the casual fan. Dude, since since Canelo lost to Mayweather in September of 2013, he's won about 12 fights, or 11 fights in one draw. He's Mm -hmm. beaten Arisandi Lara. He knocked out uh, James Kirkland. If you don't remember, that was a dude that didn't bathe because he wanted to get in his opponent's head. And he (laughs) knocked his ass out in the third round. And and if you would remember it the second you see that knockout, I'll put it like that. Then, Then he fought the legend himself, Miguel Cotto in November 2015 and he won back or no he won the vacant WBC middleweight titles the ring and middleweight titles after losing the WBC and ring light middleweight titles and super light middleweight you know blah 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 WBA belt right so he has a string of fights he beats Cotto wins two middleweight belts he beats Amir Khan retains the belt 
He beats Liam Smith for the WBO light middleweight belt. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., he, he uh, whoops his ass, gets a unanimous decision win by May of 2017. The next fight was against Triple G. was a draw, classic fight. If you haven't seen the first Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez fight, it's a split decision draw, 12 rounds of great boxing. Check it out. Canelo, they run it back, which everyone wanted, and Canelo ends up winning the WBA Super, WBC, and the, and the ring middleweight titles. The next fight, he beats Rocky Fielding wins the WBA super middleweight title. Then he beats Daniel Jacobs in May 2019 and wins the IBF middleweight title. That's when he moves up to light heavyweight and beats Sergey Kovalev by fucking knockout in the 11th round and wins the WBO light heavyweight title. Like, this shit, like, that's an incredible run. It's not even his entire career, it's just since his loss. Because you can go back before the Mayweather fight and watch him be a great probably the best pound-for-pound counterpuncher in the sport. But after he lost to Mayweather, Canelo just went super sane. He, he took it up a next level, and he's been unbelievable ever since. Like, the, he's one of the greatest boxers we've ever had the privilege of watching. So I really do think he's the be- he's the pound-for-pound best right now. I wish I would have saw him fight in 2020, but that's another thing COVID fucked up. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys that uh, you, you don't get without the gate. It just doesn't happen. No, it's not going to happen. It, it, does, it just doesn't happen. It, it can't, especially with the zone. Kind of, I mean, I don't want to talk shit, but in the hole, <laughs> you know, not making money. I, uh, that's why you have fucking Jake Paul fights and shit on the zone because you need those YouTube fans. Like, oh, we'll pay the money to watch Jake Paul fight. Hey or, man, or, whichever one it is. Not for nothing. Not for nothing. I'm about to get the zone because for a hundred bucks for a year. For Kodo, for a library that involves Canelo and Anthony Joshua and Triple G, it's worth it for me because that like they still have plenty left on that contract, and I can't imagine yes. they're going to lose that much money. They'll go out of business, so I'm just putting it out there. By the time we're talking about the next Canelo fight, I probably will have disowned. But when it comes to the pound for pounds, Canelo, Bud Crawford, in a way, keep an eye on it. Tank Davis, I don't know how. We're going to keep having these pound-for-pound conversations and not include this dude if he keeps dominating his division the way he's doing it. Yes, I agree. All right. On November 28th, two of our favorite boxers of all time, Mike Tyson, motherfucking Iron Mike, and Roy Jones Jr. are going to be boxing in (coughs) an exhibition. Um, (laughs) And, okay, I'm going to put my cards out on the table right now. In their fucking primes, Roy Jones Jr. wouldn't have a chance against Mike Tyson. And not in their primes, just in my opinion, Roy Jones Jr. doesn't have a chance against Mike Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, Roy Jones... I'm about to say, y'all must have forgot. (laughs) Listen, nah, I'm with you, man. Go ahead, sorry. (laughs) No, I just... and I have a boxing reason, right? Roy Jones was better at the middleweight divisions than anybody else he was amazing he was faster stronger he was even good at light heavyweight he was not dominant ever at heavyweight he's had a couple good fights at a later age with the been against tomato can roy jones jr going up against mike tyson who has only been a heavyweight and he's a former undisputed heavyweight champion is an inch shorter than Roy Jones Jr. So what I'm trying to like get across to you is this dude is a beast. He's 50 and 6 with 44 KOs. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? His worst era was when he didn't have the heart to fight. And now you got a version of Mike Tyson that wants to fight again. And, he, and it's because Roy Jones has been really wanting this fight forever, which I understand why he's a competitor. That's why he's one of my favorite boxers. Roy Jones Jr. is amazing. I wish he would have hung it up 10 years ago. But if we're going to get a, a crazy fight, I'm, I'm here for this. But kind of like with Mayweather McGregor, I really think this will be one-sided because... Roy Jones has been knocked out. Roy Jones is 66 and 9. And yep. and I got to say like what? 6 of those 9 are more recent memory. He he can get knocked out. And if there's one dude that can knock him out, it's the dude that never lost any of his power. He just didn't have the heart to box anymore, and it was because right. of all these personal demons. It wasn't because he didn't have the talent. No, yeah. Yeah, um, uh it's that's ex- Yeah, you're exactly right when, when you're talking about Oh, and, and and just so you remember, your boy 
Jake Paul is fighting a cruiserweight on the undercard against Nasty Nate Robinson. Yes, the one, the the, the NBA player. What a fucking yes. circus this card is going to be. But I'm here for it. I get that he went up to heavyweight, right? I understand Roy Jones Jr. went up to heavyweight. Everyone does. You mentioned it in the in the lead up to talking about this. But that heavyweight title reign wasn't anything spectacular, right? Not 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 at all that heavyweight title or light heavyweight technically not heavyweight light heavyweight title reign was not that spectacular and he instantly goes back down to cruiserweight which good for him goes from August fifteenth at light heavyweight down to cruiserweight in December second this is all in two thousand nine so look I I get that people see Roger Jr and remember the highlights remember I remember having a highlight DVD of Roger Jr when I was a kid with his music on it as the as the music to the background of his highlights and can't be stopped can't be rocked we hot where will you niggas learn (laughs) right exactly exactly so I remember watching that I'm like no way you get the you get those triple hooks coming off right you get just amazing things you've never seen hands fully down shooting from the hip right never seen that that time that Roy Jones put his hands behind his back and got the knockout with a left hook what I'm sorry go ahead go ahead (laughs) yeah and and even more to like let's let's even build it up more I'm only person I think in history on CompuBox to never get a punch thrown on him in a round a punch landed you talk about this guy yeah it's amazing but he's not never fought a guy like Mike Tyson where he doesn't give a damn how close or how far. Mike Tyson's going to get as close as he can, and he's going to fire from the pocket the whole time. And, yeah, I like the cough, <coughs> exhibition match. Mike doesn't – I was listening to Roy Jones on, I think, Joe Rogan's podcast. Mike doesn't know what an exhibition match is. He didn't know what practice was. He didn't practice. He didn't have sparring matches. This is Mike fucking Tyson we're talking about. He's coming to knock your head off. I don't care what the rules are. He could be the nicest guy on the planet, which he, you know, turned a new leaf, as if anyone's followed the career of Mike Tyson, has turned a new leaf in his recent years, still will knock your head off. I don't care. Mm-hmm. So I do fear for Roy Jones. I think he might, since he is the more active fighter, that is the one benefit I could give to Roy Jones right now. His last fight was in what, 18? 2018? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can look it up. Go ahead. So I think his last fight was two years ago. So that is the one benefit, the one benefit you could give. Because the last fight Mike Tyson had was, I can't even recall. No, you're right. His last ago. fight was in 2018, and it brought his record to 66 and 9. He's won his, out of his last five fights, he's 4 and 1. To not Roy bad. Jones Jr.'s credit, to his credit. Yeah, not bad. Problem is, I don't think Mike Tyson is, even though he hasn't fallen that long, if you're a boxing fan, and, and I mean, you don't even have to be a boxing fan to like this fight, right? We're talking about two of the greats. You watch those, and I know it's just hitting mitts, but you watch Mike Tyson hitting mitts? Holy shit, man. No, he's, he's ridiculous. <laughs> but we'll have plenty of time to focus on this. Uh, by November 28th, because on November 29th, we'll probably be recording, or at least being like, what the fuck did we just watch? But What did we, what did we just <laughs> witness? <laughs> but tell them where they can find you, cuz. Um, always same socials. You can find me at Owens 1105 That's uh, across everything. Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Owens 1105 Nice. I'm at not the Chuck D, Instagram and Twitter, and we are at the Dope Blog, the underscore Dope Blog on Instagram. Hit us up on there. Let us know what you would like us to talk about. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes and Spotify. And we're gonna keep discussing the excellence that is this clusterfuck of mixed martial arts and boxing. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Peace. See ya. I'm ill. I'm ill. Sicker than your average.